creation of the Sabbath, uh, Jesus established the Sabbath by himself resting on the seventh day. But then we talked about how there's really a spare, sparse amount of information until you get to the Mosaic Law. Um, we also said that uh, God begins to reestablish the, um, the Sabbath day even before they get into the promised land. So there's a pre-promised land uh, aid to get practicing the, the, uh, the Sabbath, which was the giving of the manna in the wilderness, right? And then uh, the Mosaic Law is really established to, to talk about life in the promised land so that uh, both in its religious life and in its uh, civil life, the Sabbath was to be uh, approached by everybody as in a covenant relationship. But then there's really not, there's not a whole lot that's given about the Sabbath uh, after that initial period until uh, really in uh, post-promised land prophets. Uh, so you get to like um, Isaiah, we talked about when we studied Isaiah, and we're going to look at a passage on that today. Um, so there's just, it's, it's obviously there, but it's not this central theme all the time about the Sabbath. Uh, so if you would, let's turn to Isaiah 66. Well, uh, yeah, we did Isaiah 58, I think is what we ended on. And as you're turning to Isaiah 66, I'll, I'll just read Isaiah 58. If you turn your turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, and I really think that's the that's the the key. Um, call the Sabbath a delight. It's interesting that you know. In some ways, you might say that might have been a nice thing to say at the very beginning, <laughs> but, um, but it's obviously that, that the Sabbath wasn't something that was a, a delight. It wasn't naturally a delight to people, but that's what they're talking about. Uh, call the Sabbath a delight and the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it, not going your own ways, seeking your own pleasure or talking idly, then you shall take delight in the Lord. So... Calling the Sabbath a delight is equated with delighting in God. <clears throat> They're associated with one another in the prophets. And then he says, And I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father, for the mouth of the Lord is spoken. So it's obvious that, that um, even though... It hasn't been a central focus in all of the writing of Scripture. By the time you get to these prophets, and mind you, this is when they're being exiled, uh, kicked out of the land because they, one reason, because they had broken the Sabbath, uh, many other reasons as well, but that was one of them. And so uh, Isaiah is kind of calling them back to an appropriate use of the Sabbath. So does somebody have Isaiah 66, 22 and 23? Isaiah 66, 22 and 23. Go ahead, Christian. Read that for me. The new heavens, the new earth that I make shall remain before me, says the Lord. So shall your offspring and your name remain for new moon to the new moon, from the new moon to the new moon, and from Sabbath to Sabbath. All flesh shall come to worship before me, declares the Lord. Okay, so this, this is a, obviously speaking of the return in the new heavens, new earth. Now, it, uh, you have to be careful uh, when prophets here talk about new heavens and the new earth. Because they, they're going to talk about new creation realities in old creation ways. You see how it talks about new moons and stuff like that. We don't really know exactly how the, 
the new moons will even work, right? I mean, we, the, there'll be no, no night in that day. So how does that all work? Anyway, but at a minimum, we can say that this concept of coming before the Lord regularly to worship, i.e. Sabbath day, has some influence, some indication in the new heavens and the new earth, right? There's some connection to that, such that, so that the, the prophets are telling us to, to think about the realities of true worship and the corporate worship of God's people in terms of uh, a Sabbath, uh, Sabbath worship. Can we see that? Is that, that just, so the prophets just keep telling us to look forward is, is the point I'm trying to make. They're not saying, yeah, in the time where everything is perfect, the Sabbath principle is gone. That's not what they're saying. Okay, They're saying it's still something out there that is ahead of us. Okay, Now, uh, that's important for us to know because these prophets are making us look that way, right? So Jesus comes on the stage. Here he is. Christ on the stage before the cross. He's coming to teach his people. Um, And, you know, obviously Jesus, Sermon on the Mount, lots of different places. He teaches um, a lot of uh, correction about God's law, right? So one of the things that he spends a huge amount of time on is the Sabbath, and the reason why he spends a whole lot of time on the Sabbath is because the teachers on the Sabbath had particularly messed it up. So, so he's correcting their teaching. Now, they messed up a lot of things, but one of the things that they really messed up was the Sabbath. So turn with me to Matthew chapter 11. Start, uh, uh, Dan will be uh, sad he's not here today, Dan Keenert, because um, this is his passage that he's, you know, with the Dane Ortland book, Gentle and Lowly, um, 27 to 30, uh, Nathan Gray, oh, Nikki, would you read that for me, please? All things have been handed over to me by my father, and no one knows the son except the father, and no one knows the father except the son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who, are, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Okay, so here is a famous passage, and obviously we, we know, we've heard this, and probably taken great consolation in this passage, because it, you think, oh, I'm tired, I'm weary, I'm, you know, my fight against sin, when is it going to end, whatever. You just feel that weariness, and then you hear these words of Jesus, and you go, ah, that feels so good, right? I mean, that's, that's the intent of this. You're, you're to be like, oh, I want to follow Jesus, and I want him to be my master, so that Jesus can give me what? Rest. And what does the Sabbath word mean? It means rest, right? And you think, well, okay, but what does this have to do specifically with the Sabbath? But notice in chapter 12, verse 1, what does it say? What's what's Jesus doing with his disciples? He's walking through the fields on the Sabbath. And how often do we not connect what Jesus says here in chapter 11 with what he says in chapter 12 because we have our chapter breaks and we just think that's one lesson, preach the sermon on rest here, but not preach on Sabbath and connect the two, right? So let's go ahead and read verses 1 and 2. Let's see. Um, hmm. Lily, you want to read that? You got chapter 12, 1 and 2? All right, go ahead and read that for me. At the time, Jesus went on the Sabbath day through the corn, and his disciples were hungered, and began to pluck the ears of corn and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Behold, your disciples do that which is not lawful to do on the Sabbath day. Okay, so here's the question. 
the, the Pharisees obviously accused Jesus and his disciples of breaking the Sabbath. What do you think? Before we get into the rest of the story and the things Jesus says, do you think that Jesus is actually breaking the Sabbath? <laughs> you have to, okay, I, I agree with you in the sense that, that Jesus is the one who made the Sabbath, so he knows perfectly how to keep it. We don't want to have the idea that he's above the Sabbath, particularly as a human being, because he is fulfilling all righteousness for us. So he's not like, you know how like Lex Rex, the whole idea that the king is not really above the law, the law is above the king. Well, the law is not above Jesus, it flows from him, but... But he, you're right, he would never break the, the true interpretation of the Sabbath. He just wouldn't do it. Now, the Pharisees are accusing him of doing that. Sometimes people teach like Jesus is above the Sabbath, and he can do what he wants on the Sabbath, but I, that's not what he's getting at here. Right. That's Right. Right, very good. So now, remember, it's very important. Last week we looked at the, the, uh, the passage of the man who was gathering sticks, and they said to stone him, right? You can just see the, the gears going in the Pharisees' minds, right? <laughs> this is just like that guy picking up sticks. You're doing the same thing as that man. And therefore, Jesus, you deserve to be stoned. Um, so there you go that's, that's I think setting up this now uh, the disciples are simply following Jesus' lead they're not doing anything that Jesus didn't want them to do right it's not like hey what are you, what are you doing <laughs> you know, he's not like turned around and say I, was, I watch you guys all the time no they're doing what they know that Jesus is okay with uh, now I would say that the disciples are hungry but I am hard pressed to say that they were starving Okay, you know, you can imagine, break the principle if you were starving to death. But they, they're hungry, but they're not starving. Okay, they've probably eaten the day before. Okay, uh, so the disciples pluck this grain and they eat it. And they did know, Jesus and the disciples did know the cultural pharisaical implications of this so they knew that this would make a scene so jesus could have said okay it's okay to eat on the sabbath but in order to not make a mess with the the pharisees let's not raise any problems let's just do this in private or let's not do it at all kind of the romans 13 principle we don't want to ruffle the feathers let's just keep everyone together no he says we're going to do this we're going to do it on the Sabbath. We're going to do it because I do want to make an issue of this for everyone to see. Um, also, they weren't stealing. It's okay to pick from other people's fields. That's clear in the law. As long as you didn't just gather it up and take it with you, you're allowed to walk through other people's fields and get a little bit of food to eat. That was okay in the law as well. Okay, So he's not breaking the law that way. <clears throat> Now, Jesus is going to respond to the Pharisees. And let's see what he says in verses 3, 4, and 5. Uh, Nathan Graybill, you want to read those for me? He answered, Haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God, and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests. Or haven't you read in the law that on the Sabbath the priests in the temple just desecrate the day and yet are innocent? <laughs> so Jesus gives two examples, right? One of them is David, and one of them is the priests. Okay? And he's using these examples to justify his actions. So his actions are correct because back here, uh, both the priests and David uh, break 
this is interesting, he even uses the term, they break the Sabbath principle. So the Sabbath principle is don't do any work on this day. And he gives two examples of people actually breaking it, but were guiltless in doing it. Okay? So, um, so how do you think, uh, let's see here, uh, before we go into that, um, principle, the Pharisees have an understanding of the Sabbath. We'll call this, this right here, the Pharisees. They have developed an understanding of the Sabbath that is burdensome, that is not liberating, that is actually uh, oppressive to people. That's what they have done. They've taken the law of the Sabbath and they've turned it into a, uh, a just this oppressive thing. And what Jesus is doing, you have to, he is liberating the Sabbath from false teaching. He's not doing away with the Sabbath. He's liberating it such that the understanding and the application that the Pharisees had is no longer the standard that his people think it is, think is the true standard. Now, this, is, this has other implications, okay? Because if Jesus... We're going to, when he goes up into heaven, eliminate the Sabbath entirely. Which some people in our day think that the Sabbath is just done. It's just no longer a part of the Old Testament Israel, not a part of the, the life today. If that were the case, you think, why does he take so much time to liberate false understandings of the Sabbath so that his people can use the Sabbath in a way that is freeing and liberating. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's, it's, it's a, really a strong, subtle argument that the Sabbath has continuing uh, validity, although in a different circumstance. We'll talk about how it's different later on. But it has continuing li- uh, validity for God's people. In other words, there are some people today, uh, D.A. Carson, who I respected greatly, he's, he has this argument, he calls it from Sabbath to Lord's Day, writes a whole book on it. I read the book, and, and like up until like the second to the last chapter, was thinking, man, he's very convincing. And maybe there is no such thing as a Sabbath, you know. And then um, I get to the end, and I'm like, wait a minute, that doesn't make any sense. Anyway, so, uh, but, but Jesus' correcting of the Sabbath he could have just said to the Pharisees, yeah, you're all out to lunch, but it's dying anyway. We're not going to deal with the Sabbath and move on. He doesn't. He corrects it. Okay, so that's very instructive for us when we're doubting whether or not the Sabbath really has validity for our, our use today. Okay. Also, according to Exodus 23.12, and you can turn there if you want, but I'll read it. Six days you shall do your work, but on the seventh day you shall rest, that your ox, your donkey may have rest, and the son of your servant woman and the alien may be refreshed. So again, calling the Sabbath a delight, it is is designed to refresh us. And what the Pharisees had turned it into was something that was oppressive, that wasn't refreshing anyone. It was actually increasing their burdens. Okay? And so Jesus is liberating uh, that. Now, just to understand, uh, they had developed, the Pharisees had developed 39 categories for work. And those 39 categories were broken down into 1,500 commands different types of work that you could or could not do on this day. You were not allowed to unfasten a button on this day. Okay? You were not allowed to cut your toenails on the Sabbath. You could not carry something heavier than a dried fig on the Sabbath. Um, Interestingly enough, the, the Talmud later says, couldn't wear false teeth. I didn't know they had false teeth. Um, but tailors were not allowed to even carry needles in their pocket, lest they be tempted to possibly fix somebody. Uh, 
And I have to say that this idea of making the Sabbath this overly burdensome set of rules is not just a Jewish thing, not just a Pharisee thing. In the New England colonies, lawmakers published 39 pages of regulations on the Sabbath. Okay, so it's even in our own country. Uh, It is hard to call the Sabbath a delight when all you have are rules. Okay? Am I on now? Yeah, there we go, there we go. Um, so do you understand that the example of Jesus, I mean David in the synagogue, they had something called showbread. What was the purpose of the showbread? Anybody know? It was in the temple. Uh, so in the in the in the uh, tabernacle and the temple, you had um, you had the holy of holies, you had uh, this is uh, altar of incense, you had um, you had the uh, the minarah, which is a lampstand, and on this side. You had a table, and it had two stacks of bread on the table. And out here was the laver and the altar out there. So on this table right here, they, had, they put 12 loaves every, they would change them out um, uh, every week. And uh, I guess they were able to dry enough climate they didn't get mildew or moldy. But when they would change out those, those 12 uh, pieces of showbread, there are 12 there because they represent the 12 tribes of Israel, and the priests would keep uh, trading them out because they're bringing God's people into the presence of God. Anyway, but just for practical purposes, when they changed out the showbread, the priests were allowed to eat the showbread. They were allowed to do that. So... By the way, it might have some implications for us um, that the, the communion bread, after it is used in worship service, uh, is not so holy that you can't feed it to the birds or do something practical with it or have other people eat it. I mean, it's not something that's evil to do that if it's okay that you could eat the showbread. Well, okay, the priests regularly do this. David is on the run from Saul. He's the rightful king, but Saul is uh, persecuting him, he's on the run, he's hungry, he comes in, and the the priest gives him and his followers the showbread. Um, Why is this okay? Jesus doesn't really explain why it's okay, he just says, obviously okay, uh, because uh, David is um, not chastised in scripture because of this. So why is it okay? That's a good, that's good, so okay, so one, it's, is, it's always right to do an act of mercy on that day, right? So, okay, good, and yeah, that's, a, that's excellent, any other thoughts? Hmm. So, yeah, I mean, there is something, the fact that, you know, Jesus is God's anointed and David was God's anointed. So there is some connection there uh, between that as well. Good. Uh, Danny? 
the sixth commandment takes priority over the ceremonial law. Okay. okay. Did you? <laughs> so, what's the sixth commandment? Thou shalt not kill. Okay. Meaning, okay. Thy, meaning thyself. Okay. So, okay. So, uh, preservation of life. Uh, you could, you can. And I think Danny's pushing this that. Uh, the preservation of life command actually is of greater significance than the other. And that does, Jesus' words in the New Testament, he does say it was, um, uh, uh, he entered the, which was not lawful for him to eat. So there you go. He, he, he does see a contrast that this one command says don't eat this. And it wasn't even the Sabbath command. It was the command that only the priest should eat it. And then Jesus is, a, I mean, David is able to eat it um, uh, because of a higher principle. So that, there you go. There's a sense of that there is a hierarchy and a principle within uh, the law that not many people are willing to acknowledge, but uh, i.e. things like Cory ten Boom uh, lying to um, uh, the Nazis because... Uh, she's trying to preserve life, right? It'd be a similar thing. She's trying to preserve life, so therefore that takes precedent over the line um, command. Yeah, good, okay. So that's another ad- angle to this. Anything else? How about the, the principle that the true intention of the Sabbath is to refresh? Right? The true intention is to refresh. And here's God's anointed who is actually on the run unjustly. And God says, oh, no, you can't be refreshed. <laughs> Sorry about that. We don't want you to actually, you know, gain benefit from me. And the, and the, no, no, you can't do that because this law is above your refreshment. I, I, I think this is getting at the heart. I like the things that you guys are saying. I think it's all true. Um, there is no, this is back to our, back to the norm, the heart, and the circumstance. There is no intent in the heart of David or his disciples uh, his followers to destroy the Sabbath principle. That is not his intent. He is not like the man picking up sticks who is rebellious to God, saying, "I just want to go against this command and defy God." David's heart is in the right place, and the circumstances do merit him doing this. Okay. Um, okay. That's that's the first example. Mm-hmm. He's the perfect father. Mm-hmm. Um, and on, uh, in the um, one about adultery, he's the perfect husband. Mm-hmm. So maybe in this, he's telling us that he is rest. He is the perfect. Well, absolutely, I think that. I, I mean, that's the this is right where Hebrews takes us in Hebrews chapter four that Jesus is the rest. And you're finding your rest in him. It doesn't mean that you replace the Sabbath principle because Jesus is now your rest. You can do whatever you want on the Sabbath. That's not it. But it is saying that Jesus knows what it means to apply the Sabbath in a way that is truly producing rest and refreshment and true worship of God. That he, He's the center of it. And to say that David is somehow breaking that is, is, goes directly against what David's intentions were. David doesn't want to try to get people to not worship God. He's not trying to get people to break the Sabbath. He's in a, it's just that, this is why Jesus is bringing this example up. Because even though they are the most detailed keepers of the Sabbath, do the Pharisees love God and find rest in God? And and are they getting refreshed from the Sabbath? None of that is occurring. All right, let's go to the second example. 
This one here is, I think, this, this one is more clear what Danny's talking about, about the various uh, rules. So there is a general rule, keep the Sabbath, but there is another rule that's even more important than resting. It's hard to see you here, but what do you think that other rule is that's more important than resting? As, as Christian yawns back there, he's actually a perfect example of this because instead of staying home in bed resting, he's here, even though he's obviously a little bit tired this morning. I mean, six kids, why would he be tired, right? I mean, <laughs> um, so here he is, he's here. So what's the principle that is more important than just getting rest? Worship. Worship is more important. So yes, it's a, it's a time to get, to get physical rest, but it's worship. It's so important that God sets a whole uh, category of people called the priests, and he says, on this day, you will work. You will break the Sabbath because I need my people to worship. So therefore, it's more important for you to not have this Sabbath than it is for my people to not have organized worship. Okay, do you see the principle there? Again, do the Pharisees care about true worship of God? Not at all. So they're keeping the law, and they're even making it a burden for other people, not helping them to in any way keep it, but they're making it a burden on them. All the while, they care nothing for the true intention of worship, which is what it's all about, right? Oh, well, that's uh, exactly I mean, that's the biggest thing right there that I'm getting as I'm kind of mull this over in my mind is that um, if all you ever think of is God as the lawgiver with no compassion, uh-huh. um, I mean, I, I equate it to modern day uh, legalism, religion <laughs> that says everything is don't do this. Uh-huh. There's nothing. There's no real worship of God or praise to God or anything. It's like, if you want to love God, then you don't do this, 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 and this. Uh-huh. And that's the only way. And if you don't, then in your mind you're saying, well, I guess I don't love God. Uh-huh. And you don't want to, so then you... Sure don't call the Sabbath the delight, do you? You're schizo is what you are. <laughs> okay, well, let's just... So look at verse 6. Jesus says, I, this is back in Matthew 12, I tell you... Something greater than the temple is here. So the temple is about worship. Remember, he gets so mad at the people because they take his uh, house of prayer and turn it into a den of thieves kind of thing. And he says, you know what? I am the one through whom worship will take place. I am the one. You come through me to go to the Father. I care about true worship. Not getting, not, I'm not here to break the Sabbath, but I am here to tell you that I understand what the Sabbath is all about, and I want the people that follow me to truly worship God. Yes? Mark 2? We're not even in Mark 2. Go ahead. <laughs> no, that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. And then the next verse says, therefore, the conclusion, the Son of Man is also the Lord of the Sabbath. Would you, can you explain that? Yeah, I, I think that he's the one that designed the Sabbath. He's the one that knows the intent of the Sabbath. Again, it goes back to my earlier point that he is not above the Sabbath. He is the Lord of the Sabbath. He's the one who cares about the Sabbath the most. And he's saying that... Um, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was not, you, you weren't created, John, so that you could just follow the Sabbath. The Sabbath was created because you need time to worship, to have time of rest, a time to be refreshed. I mean, all those kind of things. The Sabbath was made for you, not you for the Sabbath, which is what the Pharisees had turned it into. Yep. 
Okay, so back in Matthew. Um, in fact, I actually have Mark 2.27 just a little bit farther down. So you're good. You got, got me there first. That's fine. Um, look at verses 7 and 8. And if you had known what it means, I desire mercy. That's what Susan said, right? He's mercy. And not sacrifice, you would have not have condemned the guiltless, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Mercy is more important than ceremonial activity. That's what he means by sacrifice. Just don't think of sacrifice like Jesus' death on the cross. Think of sacrifice as those outward acts of ceremonial worship. And actual love and mercy are more important than external acts of worship. That's his point. Loving God, loving man, those are more important than ceremonial regulations. The intent of the Sabbath is to promote the enjoyment of God and covenant faithfulness. You should never bring rules into the situation that actually inhibit people from loving God or loving their neighbor. So, for instance, if you're a doctor, you were not allowed to heal or do any practice of medicine on the Sabbath unless it was absolutely life-threatening. Blood coming out of them, you know, they're going to die that day. Don't actually heal them on this day for any other, don't treat them, except if it's dire straits. And Jesus said, wait a minute, guys, I am gentle and lowly of heart. Come to me, and I will give you rest. And, and so he's, and then he goes right into this whole uh, Sabbath, and there's, you know, Matthew has put these together, not um, accidentally, they are there. So it is always right to do good on this day. So then let's read 9 through 13. Uh, Laura Vesey, you want to read that for me? He went on from there and entered their synagogue. And a man was there with a withered hand, and they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? So that they might accuse him. He said to them, Which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Uh, through 13. Oh. Then he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out, and it was restored, healthy like the other. Okay, so number one, just imagine somebody with a crippled hand, and Jesus heals him, and, and it comes out. The amazingness of this, right? And then they're angry at him for doing this. Can you imagine that? They, are, they allow that if a sheep falls into a pit, you can go get that out. That's a need, right? That's a necessity. But actually healings, oh, you can do that on a different day. Jesus is not just saying that it is okay to heal on the Sabbath. I think his point is much more powerful than that. Of all days, the Sabbath is the best day to heal on. Why? Why is the Sabbath the best day to heal on? Because the Sabbath points us to absolute blessing. The reason why there's, there's people that need to be healed is because there's a curse upon this world. And to actually heal to like the reversal of the curse, to bring life and refreshment to someone, to give the blessing of salvation, because they're equating uh, in the sense that you're being healed physically, is a, a sign that the, somehow the sin of the curse must have been taken care of. And that's exactly why Jesus is healing. I am the one that's going to free you from your sins. So it's absolutely the best day of the week for me to heal you on. 
should be the day above all days to heal. We don't have any healers in this church, you know. But if we had Jesus here, we'd bring them all in on Sunday morning, right? Come on in or before the service and get, your, get healed. Because it is the best day to do that. Now. No, no. or awe that someone got healed like is it I'm just wondering because the Pharisees saw and, and this is deception they number one they felt like they were the ones who kept the law better than anyone else and for have someone come in and actually undermine their understanding of the law hit right at their pride and they were, uh, there's also a possibility that they, they use the Sabbath to control people. And so that too is being taken away. Jesus is liberating people from all of their oppressive controlling laws that they're putting on them. And they're no longer going to give allegiance to the Pharisees anymore. You understand, they, the Pharisees as an institution in the mind of those who follow Christ, are going to be no longer the ones that they follow. It's a deep state of the deep state of the church for sure. Um, yes. Blindness, mm. inability to to recognize a miracle. Um, it's just it's just sad. It is sad. So turn over to Luke 13, leave the microphone there, let Clark or Lee read this. Luke 13, because it, of all the issues that Jesus talks about, I don't think there's any issue that he talks about more in his teaching for longer sets of time than the Sabbath. He keeps coming back to it. Luke 13, 10 through 17. On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues, and a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, who are, you set, who, who are, who are set free from your infirmities? Excuse me, you are set free from your infirmities. Uh, then he went, he put out his hands on her and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Verse 17, through verse 17. So, Okay, good. So you're at 13, 14? He's at 14, yeah. But blessed are your eyes, for they see in your ears. What? Luke 13. Luke. <laughs> <laughs> I switched over books on you. Sorry, Lee. <laughs> I was going, what is he reading? <laughs> But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, There are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed and not on the Sabbath day. Then the Lord answered him, You hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water it? And ought not this woman, O daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? As he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame, and all the people rejoiced at all the glorious things that were done by him. Now, if that doesn't make it clear, I mean, that's as clear as it gets. I mean, he is... Jesus is indignant at them, and they are indignant at him. See, we always say truth is a ridgeline. You can fall off on the side of license. I will do what I want to do on this day, and I don't care about worship. I don't care to, you know, love God or love other people, so I'm going to do what I want. And God says, you act that way, you're going to miss out on redemption <laughs> because that's, those kind of people are unrepentant. But you can... What the Pharisees and them are doing are running all the way here. They think there's a cliff maybe somewhere out here. But they're running way out here saying, oh, well, we're just going to add heap law upon law upon law on people. And Jesus says, 
you have ruined my day. And your hearts are just as hard. To show those things such as mercy, kindness, uh, strengthen uh, bonds, you know, and ultimately, you know, starting the day with worship of God. Mm-hmm. But, you know, during the week, we have so many other things we have to do that we're, you know, basically forced to do to live that being able to set this apart separately. I mean, I know there's a lot of stuff that goes on on a Sunday that people are doing things. They're visiting, mm-hmm. sick, mm-hmm. infirmed, doing mer- acts of mercy on Sunday mm-hmm. because that's when they're available because that day is cut apart from the rest of the week. Mm-hmm. Okay, so turn over to John chapter 7, 22 to 24. And I'll just read this. Jesus again speaking. Moses gave you circumcision. Not that it is from Moses, but from the fathers. Remember, so we know that that circumcision is right here under Abraham. Circumcision. He says, but it's, it's big time in the law, right, circumcision. So it's there. He says, Moses gave you circumcision, that is, that it is not from Moses, but from the fathers. And what do you do on the Sabbath? You circumcise on the Sabbath. Now, what day were they required to circumcise on? Eighth day. Okay. It could be couple, lots of reasons for this. The first day wouldn't have been that great because it would just come out of the you know, womb. But eighth day, you have enough time, you kind of get practically uh, ready for this. But it is um, the eighth day is a picture of the eternal rest. Okay? And circumcision is, a, is pointing you to God's promise of blessing which is the eternal rest. And so he says to them, in his law, the circumcision law supersedes the Sabbath law. That's what he's saying. Jesus is telling them. Oh, yeah, yeah. So so the point is, is that um, in the law itself, as Danny said earlier, there are principles that are higher than just not doing any work on this day. Again, the priests would have had to do their work, right? They'd have to actually supersede that. And so Jesus then tells them, well, if if the sign of blessing supersedes the Sabbath day, how about the reality of blessing? How about the actual blessing itself? Shouldn't that supersede it? And so then he says to them, do not judge by appearances, but judge with a right judgment. Now, oh, if we would even do this today, as we see someone that does something on the Sabbath that, of which we might not approve. Let's be cautious, let's be careful, let's talk to that person, let's see, are they truly trying to break the Sabbath, the norm, are they obstinately in their, in their heart saying, I want to break this, or is it some other issue, right, going on? Because the Sabbath is important. It's not, we're not throwing out the Sabbath. Jesus could have just said, oh, <laughs> That was a bad law in the first place. Didn't work out that well. Just get rid of it. That's not what he says. But over and over again, he corrects it. And he helps people to understand the, how to make a right judgment on this day. Sometimes it's just a matter of understanding. Mm-hmm. You know, I, didn't, I 
I was baptized as an adult, 14 years old. Mm-hmm. And so my children, when I went, my pastor didn't give me a good argument about infant baptism, although the Presbyterian Church did it. Mm-hmm. So they were not baptized as infants. They weren't baptized until they were teenagers. But then through diligent, uh, through John, you know, I began to understand. And now with the covenant from the Old to New Testament between circumcision and baptism, I embrace it, you know. I'm, I'm joyful in it when I see infant baptism, you know, for our children. That's great. Understanding it's not salvation, but, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, they are under the covenant. Right. Yep. Okay. Yeah, we're not talking about too much about circumcision and baptism today because that's, that's a whole other. No, no, it's, it's a great point. It's a great <laughs> This is one of the reasons why in everything I hope you'll see out of me is a lead with teaching. Not just instruction in general, but you want to try to get the principles rather than just the external behavior. You have to, if you want to capture the heart of somebody, if you want them to uh, cherish the Sabbath their whole life, you have to teach the principle. You have to help them understand that so as they're out there in a world, we, we, we are not living in the promised land. In the promised land, the entirety of the whole system was set up around the, the, the Sabbath, right? Nobody worked on the Sabbath. You, I mean, they, everything was set up to help you with the Sabbath. We live in a pagan society that cares nothing about the Sabbath. You, you have to get jobs to work. And those jobs often will, will require you to work on the Sabbath. I mean, there's all kinds of things that, that go on that we're living in a situation that is either pre-promised land or post-promised land. We live, that's the situation we live in. And it's not my intention to try to return America to a Sabbatarian blue law kind of society Unless the society itself was so Christian that they were, you know, <laughs> were just, it's a part of the whole, um, the society. But we are commanded in the church and as individual Christians to try to keep the Sabbath principle as well as we can. We are called to do that. Um, all right, so let's go to Hebrews 4. Hebrews 4, 1 through 11, let's see here. Uh, Oh, Mary's probably wanting to read 11 verses, so. One through 11. Yes. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it, For good news came to us just as to them. But the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest, as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his words were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage he said, They shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter it because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day, today, saying through David so long afterward in the words already quoted, Today, if you hear his voice, Do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works, as God did from his. 
Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Okay, so I think I'm going to go relatively quickly through this, um, and then next week we'll talk about uh, principles of Sabbath keeping in general. But um, this passage is talking about the eternal rest uh, and what we would call about salvation, being saved by Christ. Um, this You see in there like, Saved from your works, um, uh, and and there's an there's a principle that prior to this uh, Hebrews four, there's a warning if you leave Jesus or if you just persist in rebellious sin, you will not enter God's rest. Right? I mean, that's so. If there's no repentance and no faith in Jesus, no rest. That's his point. And then he says, you should not be like that. You should not have this hardness of heart. Okay? And he kind of goes through, um, a lot of people thought that the promised land itself was the rest, right? Because they were in the wilderness, and then they become in the promised land. And so Joshua was supposed to give them rest. That's why it mentions Joshua in this passage. But then they're in the promised land, and they don't have rest, right? So there's got to be some other rest forward. And they just kind of keep pushing it forward. Where is this rest? Where is this rest? And it really gets to here. This is the eternal promised rest that he's pointing us to. Okay? And you find that rest through repentance of sin and through faith in Jesus Christ. That's his primary principles in this. But then he says, if you are in this rest, you will also rest from your own labors. Okay, your own works. Um, what does it say there? Uh, so then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his own works as God did from his. So the, in a sense, you keep the Sabbath when you quit trusting in your own works to get you to glory. You're trusting in God alone and the works of Christ because it's his work of salvation and you're resting in Christ. But then, um, uh, there's another way to think about that and that is you continue to rest from your labors on this day as a symbolic Uh, expression of faith in your resting in the eternal rest. So in other words, when you come to your Sabbath day, when you come in, it's the Lord's day, we'll talk about that next week. When you come to your Sabbath day, one of the aspects of this day is this is the day that you say, ah, the blessing of God is mine, not because I'm coming to worship on Sunday, not because I've got all these works myself to do, but I come to worship on Sabbath trusting in the perfect righteousness of Christ that he has received all the blessings for me. This is the day that I rest from my own works and trust in Christ's works for my salvation. You understand how that, that's going on there? So of all days, this is the day where we rejoice in the work of Christ for our salvation not our own works, and what we're doing to earn salvation. So Hebrews, some people use this chapter 4 of Hebrews to say, oh, all we do is trust in Jesus now, and we don't need a Sabbath. That's, there's no sense in here where he's getting rid of the Sabbath day, but I do think you use the Sabbath day to actually encourage faith in Christ, which is what this day is all about. So... Um, again, when you start trying to see Jesus' intention, you understand that, oh, there are things that I shouldn't do or should do on the Sabbath. I get all that, but the intention is to drive me to Christ and to fill me with delight in him, which is why the hymn writer says, this is the day that you sit up on Pisgah's Mountain and you look into your promised land that is yours in Christ. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the Sabbath. Thank you that it is a day of rest, and it is a day to sanctify our heart. It's a day to, to, 
question, am I just living my life the way I want or am I in submission to you? But it is also a day to look at the, the righteousness of Christ and to, to find joy and delight in him that he is the one who has purchased my redemption and, and he is the one who liberates me from all evil and brings me into your promised rest. And I just thank you for this. I pray that you would help us today as we go into worship that we would call this a delight. In Jesus' name, amen.